Our gospel reading this morning, which we've already hinted at, is John 13, verses 1 through 17. This is a passage that is more often read on Maundy Thursday than on any Sunday of the year because it took place around the table on the last night of Jesus's earthly life. But perhaps it should not be so isolated or so rare. Here is a life-giving word from God. Let us listen to what the Spirit is saying to the church. Now before the festival of the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray him. And during supper, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, got up from the table, took off his outer robe, and tied a towel around himself. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was tied around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered, you do not know now what I am doing, but later you will understand. Peter said to him, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, one who is bathed does not need to wash except for the feet, but is entirely clean. And you are clean, though not all of you. For he knew who was to betray him, and for this reason he said, not all of you are clean. After he had washed their feet, had put on his robe, and had returned to the table, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have set you an example that you should also do as I have done to you. Very truly, I tell you, servants are not greater than their master nor are messengers greater than the one who sent them. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. This is the word of the Lord. So by this point in the story, the wheels are in motion and there's no turning back. Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world and to go to the Father. He had lived a life full of love in the company of his disciples, and though it was painful to imagine that one of his own friends was about to betray him, as Jesus sat down to dinner, he knew that soon everything was going to be all right, in a way that it had never been all right before. 
to hear John tell it. This is really Jesus at the height of his power. He's electric with the power of God in this moment, knowing, knowing that the Father has given all things into his hands, knowing who he is and where he is going, and that it's all according to plan. Can you even imagine how it would feel to have that level of confidence and that sense of potential? This is Jesus' moment. But then he does the oddest thing with it. Instead of raising a glass or heaping another helping onto his plate, Jesus gets up from the table before dinner is even over. He takes off his dignified outer robe and ties a simple towel around his waist. And just like that, he's taken on the appearance of the lowliest slave in a first century household. And then the most powerful person in the history of the world lowers himself to the ground and begins to wash his friend's feet. Feet, as I mentioned to the children, which must have been filthy from following Jesus around in first century footwear. Jesus could have chosen anything for his last act, anything for his disciples to remember him by, but this dirty work of foot washing is what he chose. And it must have been a shocking sight, something that you would not easily forget. Even with everything else that would happen over the course of that night, you know that the disciples talked about Jesus washing their feet for years. And then they wrote it down so that we would remember about it too. But it's funny. Here we are, nearly 2,000 years later. And I'm not sure how often we really call this foot washing episode to mind. We remember more easily, I think, some of the other things that Jesus did on that night. We have a strong memory of what happened at the table, or at least what happened above the table, where bread was blessed and broken, where the cup was poured and passed around. At least once a month, we not only tell that part of the story, we act it out, we gobble it up, we drink it in. But what happened below the table, that's what gets a little fuzzy. It's not our habit to reenact that. Now, I might be wrong. Maybe, unbeknownst to me, you've been hosting Presbyterian pedicure parties. <laughs> but my invitation must have gotten lost in the mail. Now, of course, some Christians do wash one another's feet. Roman Catholics, for example, the Pope, every year on Maundy Thursday, he shows up somewhere in Rome with a gold pitcher, a gold basin, and a towel, and he bathes the feet of 12 total strangers. This year, he knelt before a group of prisoners, including some Catholics, but also Muslims, an Orthodox Christian, and even one Buddhist. In the group were people from across Europe and Asia, Africa, and even South America, people of different colors, shapes, and sizes. It's beautiful to see. But at least in the footage that I've found, 
it also happens pretty quickly. Just a dribble of water, a couple swipes of the towel, a pat and a kiss, and the Pope has moved on to the next one. It seems to me that no one's feet were really dirty to begin with. Like maybe they got fair warning. And so the washing that takes place is mostly for show. And friends, we do need to be shown. We need to be reminded of Christ's humility. Because like Peter, we have a hard time sometimes picturing Jesus down there. When Jesus belongs in the place of honor, presiding over the table or at least standing where everyone can see him. I have to be reminded, like anyone else, that the path to glory is a downhill climb. That's just Jesus' way. And Jesus' humility must have unsettled Peter as it unsettles us. But that's not the only reason Peter practically jumped up from the table the moment he saw Jesus kneeling down. At this point in television history, the makeover show is really a staple. I'm talking about that sub-genre of reality TV that includes shows like What Not to Wear. These are shows when an ugly duckling transforms into a swan with the help of glamorous hosts who guide the process and prescribe the products and the lifestyle changes that'll make the conversion stick. For viewers like us, these shows can be strangely uplifting. Like they remind us to take pride in ourselves and to make an effort because we're worth it. It's feel-good TV. But then again, you probably would not volunteer to be on one of those shows yourself. Because, come on, it's clearly humiliating. Humiliation is part of the formula of those shows. Like, there's always this scene at the beginning where the hosts ambush the new contestant at home and they start rifling through her closet. Here's a stained t-shirt. Here's a ratty yellow fur coat. Look, it was fluffy when I bought it. But the hosts aren't having it. It's a wet dog. This is real, by the way. <laughs> what not to wear, 2012. <laughs> but what they say goes, because they're running that show. I think Peter might have been afraid of having a moment like that with Jesus. Not that Jesus would ever be cruel, but that Jesus would see just how bad things really are. The view from below. Peter knew all the cracks and the calluses, and he really didn't need Jesus to see them or to touch him there. You're going to wash my feet? Please, please don't. Please don't go there. Sometimes having God's personal attention just seems a bit much. And so we all have our ways. We all have our moments of trying to hide from God. There are doors that we keep closed, wounds that we keep covered. We have our secrets, things that we pray somehow God doesn't know. We have griefs 
that are too deep to name, even in the silence of God's presence, we have held some things back. And Jesus does not insist. He never forces us. But he is honest about the trade-off. Unless I wash you, you have no share with me. The waters of grace are flowing, whether we like it or not. And all that remains is to let go and to say yes and to step in. But still, like Peter, we will do our best to make it more complicated than that. Perhaps, Lord, maybe you could wash not only my feet, but my hands and my head. Yeah, I'll take the full bath. Or I don't know, Jesus. I don't know. What do you want from me? What do you want me to do? I remember this time when I was in preschool. I can't have been more than four. My teacher asked me to draw a picture of myself. She gave me a piece of paper that was blank except for an empty circle, which was for my face. And with all the confidence of the budding artist I considered myself to be, I took a marker and I started to draw. I put two eyes near the top of the circle, a nose in the middle, a big smile down at the bottom, a couple of ears on the side, some hair. Only for some reason, when I stood back, it didn't look quite right to me. So I kept drawing and I kept adjusting, but it was getting worse and worse and worse until the only thing I could do was to take a big purple marker and to just blot the whole thing out, just completely cover it. And so that's what I did. And so that's what my parents found at the open house. <laughs> Which I hope didn't cause them too much panic, but I don't remember that part. I only remember the panic I felt as I tried to recover the perfect picture of myself. And I remember the shame that set in when I realized that I couldn't succeed. I suspect that at some point we have all scrambled to save ourselves. But the good news, of course, is that we can't. Jesus can. Jesus knows what we need and it's all his to perform. No matter how much his disciples might protest, Jesus' purpose remains steady and sure to wash your feet, and that's all, to fill your need, to heal what you're holding back, to wash away your sin, to make all things new, and that includes you and your broken pieces. After Jesus had washed the feet of his friends, he returned to his seat, and from there he issued a challenge. If I can do it, you can do it. You ought to wash one another's feet. It is as clear a call to service as any in Scripture. Jesus calls us to care for each other, up close and personal, uncovering the needs that shame would seek to conceal and tending to the places that hurt the most. It's gentle, but it's determined work 
that we do in the pattern of Christ, person to person, unmediated, embodied by God's people in the world God loves. Taken in that sense, I'd like to amend what I said before and suggest to all of you that a fair amount of foot washing takes place in this church. It happens when you stop by a friend's hospital room and pull up a chair. It happens when high schoolers wake up before the sun, even though it's summer vacation, and go downtown to share breakfast with homeless neighbors. It happened a couple of weeks ago at Manos de Cristo's back to school event. Every time one of you knelt down next to someone else's child, asked him his name, and helped him to pick out only the two most awesome pairs of socks in the box. And it happens every week at the gathering right here in this building when members of this church give a morning's respite to people with Alzheimer's and dementia and their caregivers every Wednesday morning, anyone who works in the office will tell you, you can hear it. You can hear the joyful sound of service resounding, rising out of the depths and echoing throughout the whole building. Listen, here in this community, there is a place for you to serve. But friends, do serve wisely. You are going to hear a lot of talk about service that isn't really Jesus talk. I think of our young people in particular who get the message that they need to rack up service hours in order to get into the college of their dreams. And I have to admit, it's a pretty good carrot and stick, and it may well get them into the volunteering spirit. But it is not the logic of foot washing. Foot washing is not about pressure or striving. It is about God, God's grace, and the way that grace just flows. The church can always choose to go with the flow of that grace or to stop it up with our own plans, our own requirements, or other excuses. But let's go with the flow and discover the gift of this commandment to wash one another's feet, which is simply this. Everyone washes, but everyone also gets washed. Our own feet have been dirty, and they will get dirty again. But here is a blessing. Just when we believe that we are serving others, we will suddenly feel the cool rush of water over our own feet. Some stranger is going to smile at you on the day when you really need to be smiled at. Someone is going to tell a story that gives you hope or speak a truth that ignites your soul. Someone is going to point you toward God when you did not even realize you were so turned around. Grace is overflowing. So come and get your feet wet. Or put another way, Come to the table. Just don't expect to keep your seat. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.